On episode 61 of The Gem on the Queen's Crown, Doug Gray Jr. is our guest. Doug runs RedsMinorLeagues.com, covering every single farm team in the Cincinnati Reds organization. We're down on the farm in this edition of the local Sunday Sports Podcast. Also, it's week three of Ohio High School football, week two of college football, and the opening week of the NFL's 2018 campaign. We've got the scores of the local teams on the local Sunday Sports Podcast. Welcome to the Gem on the Queen's Crown, a podcast talking local Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio sports. Visit the slash podcasts for every available platform. Opening theme from Music Radio Creative. And now for our host, Lee W. Mowen. Hey listeners, here's to the start of another great week. And another episode being dropped of the Gem on the Queen's Crown, the local Cincinnati and Dayton sports podcast. We got scores. It's week three high school football scores in Ohio, plus week two in college football, and the first week of the NFL. Let's go ahead and drop the scores for you. First up, the Thursday game, which I found out that WKEF Channel 22, which would be the NB, no, the ABC affiliate, used to be the NBC affiliate, had the Thursday night game on last night around noon, one o'clock, when the football game started to air on the other stations. Chaminade Julien at home takes care of Greenville 58 to 16. And by watching one of those, I also saw they used a drone to kind of fly over and get some of the angles as well. Roger Glass Stadium is probably one of my favorite local stadiums. You got a nice view of downtown Dayton skyline. It's a very nice new pitch. It's a nice field. So Shamana Julien wins in Thursday Night Lights 58-16 to against the Greenville Green Wave. Now we get to some Friday scores and a couple of Saturday scores because some games were postponed. And there's a couple of historical games here, and I'll mention those as I get along to them. First up, in the Battle of State Route 503 between West Alexandria and Lewisburg, Tri-County North comes out on top over Twin Valley South 36-7. to In one of the big historical wins, Middletown Madison knocks off Valley View in Germantown. 24-16, the Mohawks win is the first in 28 years in 20 games since September the 7th, 1990. I would have been two the last time Middletown Madison knocked off Valley View in football. Like I mentioned, they haven't played every year, but 20 games, uh, 28 years, Milltown Madison's lost to Valley View. Not this year. A big win for the Madison Mohawks. West Carrollton knocks off Preble Shawnee and the Arrows 47-42. Brookville shuts out the Dixie Greyhounds 47-0. Oxford Talawanda takes care of the Eaton Eagles in the Battle of State Route 732, 32-20. Coach Chanel of Miamisburg picks up his 200th win as a head coach as Miamisburg takes care of Loveland on the road, 49-14. Another historic 
win here. Alter 10, Centerville 7. Before the season was set to begin, these two teams weren't playing each other. In fact, both teams had a Canadian team coming in, but both canceled. So Alter and Centerville solved that. And the Elks and the Knights played. First time in a couple years, I believe. Knights win it 10-7. to The Knights had a lead, what was it, 7-3 late before the Knights scored the winning touchdown. It's the first win over Centerville for Kettering Alter since before 1973. That's right, the local newspaper doesn't know when the last time Alter beat Centerville. It was before Coach Greg started his regimen at Centerville. So before 1973... Quite the win for the Alter Knights. Beaver Creek takes care of Fairborn in the crosstown battle. 57-19, Beavers beat the Skyhawks. Oakwood 46, Carlisle 14. You got a battle of Falcons here. Clinton Massey edges out Fenwick 21-18. It's Mount Healthy in the Owls 28, Dunbar Wolverine 6. Vandalia Butler 38, Wilmington 12. New Richmond scratches out Monroe 28-14. Xenia with a 35-26 win over Franklin. Mississinawa Valley shuts out Bradford 41-0 in a cross-county conference battle. Bellbrook stays undefeated with a 26-0 win against Tecumseh and the Arrows. Springfield 16, Hudson 10. Gahanna Lincoln 17, Springboro 14. The Gahanna Lincoln and Springboro battle. It's a good one on the ice, and we had a good one on the gridiron, too. Mason 20, Oak Hill 6. Kettering Fairmont defends their home turf against the Milford Eagles 28-21. Minster with a 28-22 win over Fort Recovery. Winton Woods with a very nice win against Upper Arlington, 52-45. Elder takes down Clarkson North out of Ontario, Canada, 21-13. St. X takes care of Walnut Hills, 41-7. Salina, 56. Elida, 36. Kenton Ridge, 47. Stebbins, 14. Sycamore edges out Lakota West, 8-7. Yes, that's a high school football score. I did check on social media, too. And Sonia shuts out Arcanum as the Tigers claw a 38-0 win against the Trojans. Piqua takes care of Meadowdale by shutting out the Lions, 42-0. LaSalle edges out Lutheran North out of Missouri, 13-12. Greenview, 27. Fairbanks, 14. I'm not sure why I keep messing up Greenview on my Twitter, if you follow me, at the lead W. Mowen. I think I said Greenville with three E's, like Greenville, Tennessee. Like our guests will be talking about in the interview on episode 61. I can't wait for you to listen to it. Again, Greenview 27, Fairbanks 14. Miami East with a 38-3 win over National Trail. Hillsboro takes care of the Astros of East Clinton 49-0. Waynesville with a 20-8 win over Blanchester. Finneytown 33, Middletown Christian 8. Taylor 32, Norwood 0. Northwestern takes care of Milton Union 35-21. Edgewood with a 35-10 win over Hamilton Baden. Lebanon 7, West Claremont 3. Purcell Marion 35, Bethel Tate 0. And Bethel 63, Tri-Village 19. The Bees sting the Patriots. Bethel Tate's in Cincinnati. Bethel just north of Huber Heights. No, they're not related. Although Bethel Tate does have nice football helmets, they have the Bengals 
the stripes on their helmets, but it's red and gray. Fort Loramie with a 33-20 win in CCC play against Covington. Layman Catholic takes care of Graham by a touchdown and an extra point, 21-14. Marion Local flies over Parkway, 51-7. Anderson, 35. Harrison, 3. Little Miami defeats Goshen, 27. Covington Catholic Central out of Kentucky, Northern Kentucky, takes care of the Kings Knights, 42-9. Ross 13, Western Brown 7, Miami Valley Christian 63, Cincinnati College Prep 0. A big battle in Dayton as Pickerington Central comes up big 42-19 against Trotwood Madison. Akron Hoban, D2 state champs in football. They take care of Wayne 47-28. Dayton Christian 20, Ponets Tech 14, Northmont a very impressive 35-14 win over Tippecanoe. Sydney 38, Belmont 6. Troy Trojans 29, Turpin Spartans 7. St. Henry takes care of Defo St. John's 37-7. Troy Christian with a 28-14 win over Northridge. Coldwater takes care of the Versailles Tigers. Cavaliers win 35-7. Mechanicsburg 44, Southeastern 0. West Jefferson 54, Green and 13. Northeastern 23, Mass and Plains 16, West Liberty Salem pounces on the Cedarville Indians 44-6, Fairfield 40, Hamilton 6, St. Mary's 38, Van Wert 6, Benjamin Logan takes care of Upper Scioto Valley 50-0, Lakota East 32, Middletown 7, Anna 42, New Bremen 7, Springfield Shawnee and the Braves defeat Thurgood Marshall 30-17, to Belfountain 49, Urbana 7, Riverside 21, Indian Lake 7, Wapakoneta 32, Lima Shawnee 6, Ottawa Glandorf 36, Lima Bath 10, Triad defeats Springfield Catholic Central 59-0, Huron edges out Roger Bacon and the Spartans 27-26. Wyoming Cowboys win against Cincinnati Hills Christian Academy 33-10. Scott County out of Kentucky defeats Moeller 10-7. Colerain flies over the Princeton Vikings. Cardinals win 47-19. Western Hills 42, North College Hill 8. Waynesville Goshen 24, Ridgedale 0. Spencerville defeats Lima Perry 46-12. Carroll, 42, George Washington, and some of these scoreboards that I get my scores from. George Washington, or Washington Community, out of Indianapolis. Carroll wins 42-0. Some Saturday games for you. Bellevue, Kentucky, 7. St. Bernard, Elmwood, plays 6. In the Battle of Montessori's, Gamble defeats Clark, 2012. Aiken, 26, Indian Hill, 17. Hughes with an 18-10 win over the Lachlan Panthers. Williamsburg, 21, and Riverview East, 8. And we have another Friday one for you here. Grove City Christian, 43, Jefferson Township, 0. And because Dave Seaman on Twitter asked so nicely, the nicely part in quotes, here's the Olentangy scores. Olentangy, 52, Holland Springfield, 33. There's like three Springfields in Ohio. Springfield, Springfield, Akron Springfield, and Holland Springfield. Confused yet? I think I just confused myself on that sentence. Pickerington North takes care of Olentangy Orange, 42-7. Olentangy Liberty, 23. Marysville, 14. St. John's Jesuit, 32. Olentangy Berlin, that's the new high school out of the system, 14. And also one I saw on AM 820 scoreboard. 
Columbus East 52, Columbus West 1. And I put on my high school football score notes, seriously, 1. That's got to be an error because how do you get 1 point? I know in indoor football and arena football, off the kickoffs, if you get them through the uprights, you get a point. But high school football, there's no such thing. So if I'm wrong, shout at me at the normal address, Twitter at the Lee W. Mallon or Facebook, the Lee W. Mallon. And now for some Indiana scores. Muncie Central 20, Richmond 14, Union County 14, Hagerstown 0. That gives the Hagerstown Tigers their first loss. Northeastern Indiana 28, Lincoln 14, Northeastern now the lone undefeated team in Wayne County, Indiana. Centerville and the Bulldogs defeat Winchester 23-6. Yes, there's two Centervilles close to us. And the way to tell them apart, other than, you know, what state are you in? There you go. Centerville, Indiana has the warm glow candle factory. Or the candle store. I don't know if it's a factory or not. And Centerville, Ohio has a lot of stuff. There you go. Centerville, Indiana is a small town compared to Centerville, Ohio. And last one in Indiana, Knightstown 26, Union City 14. Now for some college scores. Real quick, Wilmington and Wittenberg were off this week. Wittenberg will be at Oberlin, and Wilmington will be at Ohio Northern this upcoming Saturday. First game for the Wright State Raiders under... Head coach Ryan Tucker and the Raiders defeat semi-pro side Ohio Crush 43 to 22. Southeast Missouri State defeats Dayton 40 to 21 in Missouri, but with Dayton's points, that is a record of 467 straight games the Flyers have scored. That's a record. That's also very impressive if you think 467. Football. Trying to think the Pioneer League schedule, how many games that is. But that's that's a record that's been going for a long time. And Coach Rich Chamberlain, Mike Kelly, who's now the color commentator on the broadcast on 1290 AM, that's something to be very proud of. It's a tough loss, but the Flyers have kept their offense going for 467 straight games. That's a record. Cincinnati wins the victory bell at Paul Brown Stadium as the away team. At least that's what my cousin showed on Instagram. Bearcats 21, Miami Redhawks nil. Hiram takes care of the Earlham Quakers 47-13. Moorhead State defeats Mount St. Joseph's 48-19. Bluefield College defeats Cincinnati Christian 45-7. Central State with their first win of the year in muddy conditions at McPherson Stadium. Takes care of Clark Atlanta. 7-0. Fairmont State gives Urbana their first loss, 45-7. And Thomas Moore defeats their rival, Hanover, 27-18. And for the Ohio NFL scores, the Cincinnati Bengals defeat the Indianapolis Colts in Central Indiana, 34-23. A late pickoff seals the deal. If I remember right, Dan Hoard, the radio play-by-play voice of the Bengals, said during the pregame, Cincinnati has yet to win in Indianapolis since 1997. Well, of course, they won last night, but before the win, last four at RCA Dome and the first four at Lucas Oil Stadium. Keep wanting to call it Lucas Arts Stadium. That is totally a different, totally a different uh, franchise and industry there, but 
you get the point. Bengals win 34-23, the first one since the last year of Boomer Esiason in 97. And Cleveland and Pittsburgh, they tie in overtime 21-21. It's not a loss, but the Browns came back 14 points late. Very impressive showing by Cleveland, and they're not going to go 0-16. It is a little sad not to have Cleveland Browns broadcast on 1290 this year. It was a little bit weird. I don't think any Dayton radio stations picked up the Browns, which is surprising, just because the Cleveland Browns have been around for much more of a longer time than Cincinnati Bengals. So that's why you have more of your Browns fans and Reds fans in town. So, the only NFL team on local radio in Dayton would have to be the Bengals on 104.7 or 700 WOW. Except yesterday, I think they cut off the Bengals game for the Reds game. Anyway, those are your scores. There's a lot of scores. And just going back to the streaks that ended Middletown Mass and defeating Valley View and Alter defeating Centerville for the first time since before 1973 again couldn't find an exact date on it but that's a long time on both those streaks 28 years for the Mohawks and Spartans and Middletown Masson got it done at Barker Field which is in Germantown behind the old middle school I don't know what it is now also coach Chanel picking up his 200th win as a head coach he split time between the Edgewood Cougars and the Miamisburg Vikings how long has coach Chanel been at Miamisburg is this four years? Five years? Man, time flies when you're talking about local Cincinnati and Dayton Ohio sports. Anyway, scores. And now we present to you the interview with Doug Gray Jr. of RedsMinorLeagues.com. Here on episode 61 of the Gem and the Queen's Crown, and my guest is Doug Gray of RedsMinorLeagues.com. Doug, how fare you today? I'm doing pretty well, Lee. How are you? I'm fantastic. I'm excited about doing this episode. Like I mentioned, Doug Gray runs RedsMinorLeagues.com, which covers the entire farm system of the Cincinnati Reds. And with this podcast being a Sunday sports podcast, you get... The Dayton Dragons, you get the Cincinnati Reds, and a little location south of there as well. So first so first off, Doug, where are you from, and how did you find yourself in the southwest Ohio area? Uh, I was born and raised in Cincinnati, Ohio. I've never lived anywhere else. So I, I guess I got here because that's where my parents lived, and uh, they never moved. So <laughs> I grew up here, and I, I, I've stuck around, so... Nice, nice, short and simple answer for you. How did you get into the wonderful sport of baseball? I mean, I, I wish that I had a a good answer for that, but I mean, I just always loved baseball. I mean, my I don't have a memory of you know that that moment where I was like, oh my gosh, I love baseball because it happened before my memory actually started. Um, my my parents always tell me stories about you know Dave Parker was my favorite Reds player. Hmm. I don't remember Dave Parker playing for the Reds. 
Like, I have zero memories of that, but Dave Parker was my first favorite Reds player, and, like, they just were like, you know, when he was on TV, and, you know, we're talking about, you know, 1986, 1987 here, so there weren't as many games on TV as there are now, but when they would be on TV, and I'd see it, like, Dave Parker was my guy, and, like, I'd just get so excited, and, you know, I'd mimic all the things that he was doing on TV, and, I mean, so I I really have no memory of that, but, you know, it's just one of those things that apparently my entire life, for... Whatever reason, I'm sure it's because, you know, my dad loved baseball, and so, you know, he'd watch the games, and I just, you know, like most kids, you kind of want to hang out with your parents and kind of do what they want to do, and um, it it just stuck for whatever crazy reason, and it's never left. I'm just as passionate today about baseball as I feel like I've ever been. You mentioned Dave Parker as one of the key players, but do you remember any other Reds players that, you know, you cherished over the years? You know, it's funny. Somebody actually asked me that the other day, and I mean, I'll be honest with you, my favorite baseball player forever has it's always been King Griffey Jr. And there's a there's a funny story behind that that I'm going to share real quick. Uh, my my name is Doug Gray Jr. Okay. When I was five years old, it was 1989. I collected baseball cards like every other kid back in the 80s and 90s did. Um, and so you know, I, my my grandpa collected cards, so. You know, he was an older guy. He had a little bit more money, so you know he really, really collected baseball cards. So he had all like the Beckett Price guides and stuff, and you know he'd give me the older ones after they weren't you know up to date anymore because you know they came out once a month. And for some reason, I just loved reading through them and seeing all the baseball cards. And if you've never had a Beckett Price guide, you know it would tell you the value of the cards, and there'd be like an up arrow or a down arrow if the price had fluctuated in the past month. And for some reason, I saw this guy and he in every set in 1989 there was an up arrow next to it and his name was ken griffey jr i had no idea who that was i was five years old but his name was junior i was a junior and something for whatever reason just said this is your guy and you know so i started asking like hey i want king griffey jr baseball cards and they're like well you know he's from cincinnati right i had no idea and so it just it just kind of really worked out in a very strange way that just some little stupid arrow in, in a Beckett baseball price guide that I'd never heard of was also named Junior. Turns out one of the greatest of all time. And, you know, he was 19 at the time. No, but I mean, I'm sure some people thought, you know, this guy's going to be really good. I mean, you know, he was number one overall in the draft in 1987. You know, things were expected of him, his dad, all that. But I didn't know any of that. I just picked him out because he had a cool name mm-hmm. and worked out really well for me. And really, until he got to the Reds, I never really had a favorite Reds player. I just loved the Reds, the team. I mean, I, I liked a lot of the players, but they never, no one really stood out as the guy that was like my guy on the Reds. It was just the Reds. That's a really cool story about Ken Griffey Jr. It's just too bad his Cincinnati career wasn't, you know, the greatest. What we hoped it would be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, his body betrayed him, just like I feel like mine has done in my 30s as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> so. When did you know you wanted to help cover the Reds in some capacity? Well, you know, that's actually a funny story, too. I I really – I didn't want to do it. I I guess I didn't set out to do it um, the way that I did. Uh, When I was in high school, actually, I was really into uh, riding BMX bikes. And, you know, me being the the weird kid that I was, you know, I had this idea that, you know – I want to take pictures and record video of me and my friends riding our bikes. 
But I was also kind of into computers, and so I was like, I'm going to make a website and put this stuff online for other people to see us doing cool things, which in hindsight, oh my gosh, it was the worst idea I've ever had. But, you know, this was 1998, 1999. I was putting video, video on the internet in 1988, 19, or 1988, 1998, and 1999. I mean, nobody else was doing things like that. And so, you know, once the, me and my friends actually got a little bit better with our skills and I, you know, I started branching out and you know getting videos of other guys. And at the time, the Cincinnati and Dayton area was very—it's a big hotbed for the BMX community. Um, you know, in, in Dayton, they they had Huffy, they had DK Bicycles, so they they had pro like level athletes that were coming in and moving into town to ride for these companies. So there was a lot of highly skilled people in the area, and so it really made my website expand and blow up. And so. It kind of turned into a job for me at the time, and you know that lasted for quite a few years. And in 2004, I blew my knee out really bad. Um, I've ended up having three surgeries on it since then. It's still not right, um, but it kind of took me away from that. I couldn't I couldn't do what I was doing before, and I kind of realized that you know I, maybe I want to do something else. But at this point, you know, I I, I didn't go to college because. You know, I, I had I had a job. I, I was doing well enough for myself at the time, um, and you know, I it, at that point I could barely walk around. Um, I, there there wasn't a ton of things that I could do until my knee started to get better and heal. And I was like, you know, I, I kind of know this website thing. I've been doing it for a while. What's another one of my passions? Maybe I can start something based on that. Well, baseball fell into my lap because I mean, as I said earlier. I'm incredibly passionate about baseball. I felt that I knew enough about baseball. So I kind of started thinking about, well, what can I do? Because there's kind of already established Reds websites and blogs out there. You know, Red Reporter existed. Red Leg Nation existed. I mean, obviously, there's all the Reds official stuff with the beat writers that were writing for the Inquirer, the Post at the time. Uh, the Dayton Daily News had their, their cover. Like, there was just a lot of big league Red stuff going on. But, you know, going back to the baseball card thing, I, I felt like I knew the, the prospects, the minor league guys, just based around, you know, who was expected to be guys based on their baseball card stuff. Because, you know, I, I put in the, the, the time to kind of research those guys back then because, you know, it, it was an investment to buy guys' rookie cards before they got up to the big leagues, and then you'd sell them when they got to the big leagues at higher prices. So you kind of play in the stock market, so to speak, but with minor league baseball player cards. <laughs> and so... I felt that, you know, with all of that stuff that I kind of had going on, that hey, maybe this is something that I could do. You know, at the time, Dayton was close enough to Cincinnati where I lived. I could drive up there and maybe, you know, see some of the guys play. Louisville, the same thing. It's a little bit further from Cincinnati, but it's close enough that I could make that travel work. And so I just kind of said, okay, let's let's see what we can do with this. And, well, here, here we are 13 years later. Where is all your travels taking you with RedsMinorLeagues.com? Oh goodness! Um, I, I I think the first time that I really traveled outside of the the Dayton or Louisville area, um, and just if you if you aren't aware, I'm sure many of your listeners know that Dayton's a Reds affiliate. Um, Louisville, um, it, it's the Reds AAA affiliate. Um, it's right right below the uh, the big league team. But um, I think 2009 was the first time that I, I ventured beyond just those two and started staying overnight places. And that year, I believe that I went to. Um, Lynchburg, Virginia, and Zebulon, North Carolina, which uh, that's where the uh, Carolina Mudcats play. Um, 
and that that was the that was the first real time kind of getting out there and it was an interesting experience but i mean over the years i mean i i go out to arizona for spring training now um i you know i go to tennessee um the reds have a new affiliate there in greenville uh this year i actually went to chattanooga and watched the reds double 18 play rather than go all the way down to pensacola which if you're looking for a place to go see minor league baseball and also have an awesome vacation I highly recommend Pensacola, Florida. The stadium is beautiful. It's on the it's on the uh, the Pensacola Bay. It's it's gorgeous. They've got white sand beaches there. Love it. Absolutely love it. Um, you know, I, I've been to Daytona, Florida, the last couple of years. <sighs> Let's see. I, I know I'm forgetting places, but yeah, I I, I get around quite a bit. <laughs> I mean, Pensacola, even in the winter, they got ice hockey, which, you know, I love ice hockey. But Pensacola is beautiful. I think Cincinnati's very fortunate to have their double-A team there. For the longest time, it was Chattanooga, like you mentioned, the lookouts. Now they're Dodgers, I believe. They are the twins now. Wow. I- yeah, they, they, they switched, I think it was two years ago. You, you blink, and then everyone's changing affiliates. I mean, the Midwest well, League, you know, has done that a couple times. Well, that, that's the thing. Right now, uh, both of the teams in Florida for the Reds are they, – they do not have an extension beyond this year for either Daytona or Pensacola. So that, that could be changing soon enough, too. We, we, we'll have to wait and see on those. I think Dayton's also technically – their contract ends this season, too. But I feel like the Reds will sign – them back i i don't know what what's your take on that uh, there is zero chance that they will not be with the reds um they had the, the dayton dragons are actually in the reds market and so the reds basically control whether or not dayton can sign with another team and they're not going to let another team come in and kind of put their foothold in the dayton market uh, so un- unless the reds just have some sort of disastrous thing go on with Dayton, they're always going to be a Reds affiliate because the Reds aren't going to let, say, the Cubs come in and take over that and kind of get a foothold in that marketplace. So the Reds kind of control that whole situation. I mean, with the Cubs taking over South Bend, they put their logo on, they've done their (laughs) thing. You know, the four wins field up in South Bend, they had natural grass, and then when the Silverhawks were still there, they put down turf, and then once the Cubs came back, they took out the turf. It was like less than three years. Like, come on, let the turf breathe. Give them another two years. Oh, man. Speaking of turf, I actually, when I went and traveled and visited the Greenville Reds, one of their uh, their their opponents is, is right down the road. I think it's like a 35-minute drive in Johnson City. Huh. And so they had, they had like a home-and-home home situation. And so, you know, I, I traveled down to Johnson City, their infield is field turf, but their outfield is grass, and it was just the wildest thing I've ever seen in professional baseball. It was it was really weird looking. I know there's a college baseball field like that in Lima, northwestern Ohio. That's the same field that has the maroon infield. Which uh, oh goodness! I, I now that you mentioned <laughs> that, I've seen that. <laughs> I actually have a friend that's director of ops up there, Aaron Matthews. But uh, anyway. Uh, Greenville Reds, the first year, I like the logo with Mr. Red, no wait, Mr. Red Legs, he's got the mustache, with the yes. uh, raccoon cap. That was that was pretty cool. Oh yeah, it, it seems that people either absolutely love that or they absolutely hate that. Like there's nobody who's kind of expressed warm feelings on it. People were very passionate about their love or their hate for that mascot. And that's weird. Normally you have someone who's like, eh, it'll grow on me. I think it's better than the Wishbone G, though. I, I'm not a big fan of the Wishbone G. 
I, I'm not either, and I'll say this: I I love the people that I met down in Greenville that work for the Greenville Reds. But yeah, I'm not I'm not a fan of the the, the G either. It, it just doesn't look good to me. It's just the the end of the G. Like you got the wishbone C, and then just the end of the G's just sticking out. I, I don't know. It's not a big deal. <laughs> you know, don't don't be mad at me, Greenville Reds. And they play at uh, Tusculum College's field. And actually, that was a college I was thinking about going to back when I was in high school. But, yeah, I I like that the Reds have a rookie league team closer to Cincinnati. I mean, Billings and Cincinnati has been a thing since, what, 82? Billings has been there since 1974 for the Reds. So it's, it's, it's quite a while. I mean, you don't break tradition. And rookies aren't just going to go up to Cincinnati. Well... I think there was one Mike League, but I don't think he played rookie ball. But you get what I'm saying. It's nice to have a rookie league team closer to Ohio. It really is because I, you know, despite all the traveling I do, I've never gone out to see the Arizona rookie league, and I've never gone out to Billings, Montana, because I don't fly anywhere, Lee. So I drive everywhere, and so driving to Billings, Montana would take two full days with a stop somewhere in Minnesota, and then driving out to Arizona is a three-day thing. So it, it's, yeah, it's it's not fun to think about traveling out there. Now, I do travel out to Arizona for spring training, but, you know, I can get to Greenville and back in a day. Like, if I, if I really wanted to make it happen, I could drive to Greenville, watch a game, and drive back home. Now, it would, it would take me, you know, from 11 in the morning until 3 in the morning to get back, but I could do that. It's, it's a possibility. Now, I, I will just stay because that's crazy, but... It definitely beats spending two full days in the car to drive to Billings, Montana. <laughs> you get to see a lot of sights up there in Billings, though. It's a beautiful country. Oh, yeah. they The people that work up there that I, I know, they, they always tell me, you, you got to make it out there. you got to make it out there. And I, I, I keep saying I, I hope to make it out there this year. I hope to make it out there, and I just, I just haven't done it. I'm really, I really am hoping that I can make it next year, but it, it's always one of those things where, you know, can, can I make it so that it's, financially responsible and i i just haven't been able to do it yet what's it like to cover an entire farm system from rookie ball to the highest level of the farm uh, you know that's it, it's it's tough in the sense that the games sometimes can go all day um you know if, if there's a day game and let's say it's the the mid-season and the Arizona League Reds are playing as well. That means I might start covering baseball games at 1 o'clock and not finish covering baseball games until 1.30 in the morning. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not complaining about my job. I, uh, I've, done, I've done some manual labor jobs in the, in the middle of the summer before. I used to, for, for one summer, I actually worked on a roof, or not worked on a roof, I worked on a lot of roofs. Um, <laughs> and let me tell you, like that, that, that's hard work. You know, I've got a, I've got a best friend who he, he drives a, a garbage truck for a living, and he, he's not just the guy that drives it. I mean, he gets out and he puts you know thirty thousand pounds of trash in the truck throughout the day too. Like, it's it's not you know a difficult job necessarily in the sense that you know I'm out there you know busting my butt, uh, exhausting myself like some of these jobs. But you know, there there are times where you know it's it's a very long day um, based on just you know how the, how the schedule works out, but. What's interesting about it is there's there's always something to do because there are so many teams. I mean, you know, I don't often write about guys that are playing in the Dominican Republic, but the Reds have a team in the Dominican Republic, and so 
you know, those games start at 1030 in the morning, at least in, in you know, Eastern time. Uh, then you've got a team in Arizona. you got one in Billings. you got one in Greenville. you got one in Dayton. You got one in Pensacola. You got one in Daytona. You got one in Louisville. Like, there, there's a lot of teams, a lot of players. There's a lot of things that you can write about in any given day. There's a lot of things that can happen. And so from from that standpoint, I love it. But at the same time, sometimes it does make for really, really long days. And there's not an off day between February and October. Like I, I, I'm the only person that writes for my site um, because I, I, I can't afford to pay somebody else. Um, and I – I'm, I'm very much against the idea of unpaid interns. I, I understand why some people want to do it, and I, I, I just can't – I can't not pay somebody for their work. I just can't do it. So I, I don't get an off day between February and October, and that's that's the, one of the things that I will say that I, I don't necessarily like about the job because sometimes it would just be nice to just have a day to myself and not work for you know nine or ten hours. <laughs> Now, you mentioned you run the site yourself. What's all involved with keeping RedsMeyerLeagues.com mm-hmm. running? Um, I mean, once I got it set up, it, it wasn't too bad because, you know, at that point, it's just kind of logging in and, and writing. Now, I do a lot more than writing. You know, I, I go out and I take pictures of the players. I shoot videos of the players. And so there's a little bit more involved with that. But I, I think for the most part, I've streamlined the process. I mean, I've been at this for 13 years now, so... You know, I, I I know, generally speaking, the the easier ways to get things done. Um, but I mean, my my typical day during the season, if I'm not traveling, is you know I'll get up and I'll check the schedule, see who's pitching that day, um, and you know kind of plan around the day of what I'm going to do. I'll try and write an article in the morning and kind of have it up at hopefully around lunchtime, um, just to try and maximize people's ability to read during their lunch break. Uh, you know, got, got got to get those clicks and, and eyeballs on the site, Lee. But um, and I'll, I'll try and take off, you know, two two and a half hours after lunch, um, and just kind of that'll be my that'll be basically the only time I'm not working during the day. And then about four o'clock, uh, I'll start getting into game notes and you know press releases or whatever whatever's going on that day from the various teams in the organization. Um, I'm on all the mailing lists, and so I get. You know, roster moves, things like that, starting about three thirty, four o'clock, and then you know, games usually start at six, six thirty or so, and uh, you know, from from that point, I, I get into the game coverage, and they go from anywhere from six to you know one o'clock in the morning, depending on exactly what time of the year it is, because both Billings and Arizona, they don't start until nine or ten o'clock local time here, um, and I'll just kind of watch multiple games through milb.tv i've got um you know additional devices i'll watch sometimes i'll every day i have my an old laptop hooked up to my tv and i'll watch a game through there um and then i'll have a secondary game up on my actual work computer kind of split screen with you know i'll have tweet deck up to follow along some stuff there um and Usually I'll, I'll at least listen to another game, and I'll kind of I'll mute the different feeds depending on exactly who's doing what at the time, uh, because there is a lot to focus on. And uh, what I do is I, I want to if I want to focus on a specific player. In, in this case, it's usually a pitcher each night because they only go every five days, uh, so their their performance is a little bit more important because you only get to see it so often. Whereas if a position guy, you can focus on that generally every day because they're generally playing every day, and so. 
I'll, I'll just kind of switch back and forth with the audio feeds of, you know, what pitcher I want to listen to. Or if a, if a hitter is doing something that I kind of want to pay more attention to, I'll, you know, when, they, when they're coming up to the plate, I'll, I'll focus more in on what they're doing. How often do you get to travel to Dayton or Tennessee or Florida for the website? I think that I spent 62 days on the road this year. Uh, and that that includes spring training, but that doesn't include travel days to and from spring training. So I was at I was at a ballpark watching baseball sixty two different times this year. What changes from level to level? You still play the game of baseball, but what changes as you cover the lower levels and the higher levels of the farm system? Uh, now I, I think that. We all understand that the, the, the competition level does get better with each level. Um, I think that one of the things that we, we don't often talk about is the environment that, that people play in. Um, you know, For example, in Arizona and in Billings, both of those leagues, the ball absolutely flies there. I mean, you, you can put up good power numbers in those leagues, even if you don't necessarily have good power, because the, the air is thin out in Arizona. So the ball flies, and in Billings everything's elevated, so it's not quite like the Coors Field effect, but you, you get some of that. And they've also got some really weird fields. Lee, there's one park in that in that league where it's, it's 279 feet down the line. You say and 279? I did say 279. Ooh. And you know when you build a new stadium these days, there are regulations on how far the fence has to be from home plate. But you got grandfathered in before that if your stadium was built before they put those rules into place. And so, you know, some of these stadiums are very old. And there's a train track right beyond the fence. So you, you can't extend that. Now, obviously, you probably could move home plate back a little bit. But you know, whatever reason, they don't do it. Um, and so <laughs> there's some real oddities in rookie ball when it comes to some of these stadiums and their dimensions and just the playing environment itself. Um, and I, I think that that's one of the things that we don't really – discuss too much when we start talking about how play differentiates in, in the various leagues. Um, but I, I think that once you go from rookie ball to full season ball, one of the bigger things that you're going to see is more so on the pitching side of things than the hitting or fielding side of things. The pitchers are just a little bit better in terms of not only how many pitches they can throw, but they can get them closer to where they want them. Now, like guys that are coming through Dayton, they're probably not going to have you know, outstanding control or command, but they probably do have something good enough out of one of their pitches. And you're not going to see that in rookie ball. And then you go up, once you get to double A, that, that's where things really start to change with pitchers because you'll get a mix of guys that have that really good stuff but not necessarily the control. But then you'll also see the, the older veteran guys that they may not have that stuff, but they can locate that change up or breaking ball wherever they want to. And so that that's really when you start to see the separation difference between – Guys that are just really talented raw and guys that aren't necessarily as talented, but they're very skillful. And that that's when you when you get the mix of those two things, you, you really start to see differences in things. What stays the same between these levels? Uh, I mean, really, it, it, baseball is still baseball. The, the skill level gets better, but players, they're out there. They're, they're doing their best. They're trying to win every day. And I, I think that really that, that, that's basically what stays the same. The guys are out there trying to win baseball games every day. 
So, Doug, there is a ton of prospects out in any farm system, and the Reds are no exception. This is going to be the part where you get to tell me your favorite players you get to see throughout the farm system. First off, let's start with the prospects that haven't made it to the major leagues yet, but they could be future Reds. Who's some of your favorites? Now, the, the favorite guy that I have to watch is Jose Siri. Now, he's not the best prospect, although I, there are some people in the organization that would tell you he is. Uh, I, I don't have him ranked as a top prospect, but he's the most exciting guy for me to watch. He can do so many different things, and it's such a high level when he's going right. It, it's, it, it's so fun to watch. He's one of the fastest runners. He plays outstanding defense in center field. He's explosive at the plate. I mean, he's, he plays with a, with absolute fire, which can both be good and bad at times. I, I've seen it get the best of him at times, but you know sometimes it'll absolutely carry what he's doing on the field too. Um, so he, he's, he's my favorite guy to watch on a, on a day-in and day-out basis. Um, but then you've got, you've got the, a guy like Nick Senzel who's kind of the exact opposite of that. Um, not that Nick Senzel isn't very good at, at many things that he does, but he, he doesn't necessarily play with that same kind of fire, wears it on his sleeve kind of thing like Jose Siri does. And he's not as talented raw as, as Jose Siri is, but he's his skill level is so high at everything that he does on the field. It, it, it's, it, it's still really fun to watch, but in a, in a different kind of way. Um, it just seems like there, there aren't ebbs and flows. He, he's very consistent. And he's consistently good at all of those things across the board. Um, and I, I think that Nick's probably going to be the, the next guy that comes up to the Reds that kind of jumps into that lineup in that everyday role. Um, similar to what we saw in the big leagues with Jesse Winker this year, although I think that, well, well, maybe not. I, I, as I started to say that, I was going to say maybe not because, you know, I think that we still don't know where they're going to play Nick Senzel in Cincinnati. Um, there, there's quite a few places that maybe he could play, but... It uh, doesn't seem there's one open right now, but I think he's going to be the next guy that comes up, um, and I think they're going to find somewhere to play him, even if it is early on in his career, kind of somewhere that moves around a little bit. I think you mentioned when the Reds picked up Jonathan India, or it might have been while they picked it or before, like the you know scheduled pick. You mentioned that India kind of also had that too. He's got the bat. You want that bat. Play him wherever he can type of thing. Yeah, and and that's the thing is, you know, much like Nick Senzel, you're not entirely sure where Jonathan India is going to play in the future because right now they played him at shortstop a, a few times and they played him at third base. Well, right now the Reds have a third baseman locked up for a very long time, and he's one of the best players in the National League. So odds are Jonathan India, Nick Senzel, they're not going to play third base. Uh, shortstop, you know, Jose Peraz is kind of the only guy that. Right now, seems like he, he's a shoe in for that spot, and he's performed pretty well this year. But you know, where exactly those two guys are going to fit in—that that's a bit of a tougher question. Now they're they're both very athletic, uh, and so it, it doesn't seem unreasonable that they could move to other spots. We've seen Nick Senzel do it already quite a few different times, um, but I, I think that it's interesting to see what the Reds want to do with Jonathan Indy at shortstop. Um, we we saw him come up into Dayton for the last month of the season or so. But before that, he went to Billings. And I thought that he was going to go there and play shortstop on, on an everyday basis. Billings didn't really have a prospect shortstop, uh, while Greenville did. And that's where India started his career. Uh, Greenville had 
a guy named uh, Miguel Hernandez, who was playing very well, and he's a very strong defensive shortstop. And I think that the Reds' plan was that they wanted to get India more time at shortstop, but they also needed to get that time for Miguel Hernandez uh, because he, he is a very legitimate shortstop prospect. Um, and then Jeter Downs got hurt in Dayton, and Dayton needed somebody to come in and you know play middle infield. And so the Reds called up India to Dayton, and they basically stuck him at, at third base and kind of moved the rest of the guys around. Um, and it kind of left him in that same position where in Dayton you had it, you had a legitimate shortstop with Jose Garcia. And so with India, I want to see what they do with him next year, where they play him. Um, if, if he starts playing shortstop, it's going to be real interesting in terms of what they want to do. But if he's only, if he's going to play third base, maybe some second base, which I think he can play for sure. Um, he just kind of falls back into that group of, you know, we've got a lot of these guys and know where to play them. How about some other prospects? Uh, what, who catches your eye as a pitching prospect that could easily make the Reds? I, I think that the guy that's closest to making the Reds as far as starting pitcher goes, um, that, that could be a difference maker, at least, would be Tony Santion. Um, he was in Dayton two years ago. This year, he started the year in Daytona and just, he just obliterated the Florida State League. So the Reds caught him up at midseason to double-A Pensacola, and he barely skipped a beat. His ERA went up a little bit, but his walk rate stayed the same as it was in Daytona, and he started striking out more guys, uh, which you usually don't see that when guys get promoted from advanced day ball to double-A. Usually the numbers will drop off a little bit. They, they just got better for Tony Santillan. And, I mean, he's one of these guys, I mean, if you saw him pitch in Dayton, you, you know what I'm talking about, but... For those who didn't, I mean, he's a guy who'll sit, you know, 95 to 98 miles an hour with his fastball. And both of his off-speed pitches are, you know, 88 to 91. He throws really good slider, really good changeup. And the thing that had always been an issue for him in the past was the inconsistency within the strike zone. You know, he, he would have games where he had the control, but he'd also have those games where he really didn't. And he'd struggle to make it through four innings, and he'd walk a bunch of guys. That didn't happen at all this year. I mean, his walk rate was... it. It was well above average this year at both of his stops. Um, and he's just 21 years old, so it's not unexpected for him to take these big gains like this. Um, and I, I think that he'll probably be a guy that the Reds will be looking at in the second half next year. Um, and obviously, it always it always depends on these. In you know who is going to be in the big leagues. Um, is that spot going to be available? But I think that if there is a spot available in the rotation in the second half next year, that he's a guy that could step into that role. Um, you know, Vladimir Gutierrez is another guy who's in double A right now. Um, good control, good strikeout numbers, good walk numbers, higher ERA. I think he's a little bit more hittable than Tony Santion is. Um, and then, you know, you, after those two guys, I think that there's probably a pretty big gap before you get to another guy who, you know, could be a, a difference maker in, in the rotation. Um, you know, I. Before the injury, I would have said Hunter Green's a guy who could have moved quickly with that. But until we really know what's going to happen with his elbow, um, you know, is the rehab going to work? Is he going to be able to pitch next year? Or is the rehab not going to work and he's going to have to have Tommy John surgery? We, we just don't have the answer for that yet. So I, while I definitely love the future prospects for Hunter Green as a pitcher, um, yeah, and, until we really know when he's going to be able to get back on the mound, it's tough to really throw him into that that category and say you know he's a guy to look for at X Y Z date because obviously if he misses a season with Tommy John surgery that pushes the date way back. Um, now the guy that the Reds took with the uh, compensation round B pick this year, Josiah Gray, no relation that we know of, um, but 
he's a he's a really interesting guy. I, I think that he's going to take a little bit more time than maybe the numbers would suggest. Um, but he's he's got the thing that I like to see out of young starting pitchers more than anything else: fastball command. He can put the fastball wherever he wants to. Um, now he he definitely needs more consistency with both of his off speed pitches. This was his first year as a pitcher, even in college, um, or as a full time pitcher. He threw. I think 20 innings as a sophomore and nine innings as a freshman. He went to college as a shortstop, um, and you know he kind of dabbled in pitching, but not really. Uh, but you know, in, in the off season, or I guess it was more the uh, summer ball the previous year, um, he got invited out, and his stuff just took a big step forward. And people were like, "Oh, yeah, this guy, this guy's a pitcher now." And so this was really his first full season as a pitcher of any kind, and. So he he's not your typical 20, 21-year-old college pitcher. So he's probably going to take a little bit more time to develop. But he's got all of the parts that you want to see, and the fastball control is already there. And I, I think that that could really help um, give him a little bit more leeway in terms of you know getting away with pitches that aren't necessarily the best right now that have potential in the future. So... He's the guy from Rookie Ball that I'd say keep an eye on, but it wouldn't surprise me either if he was a quick mover. Um, I, I just hope that it doesn't kind of work out to be similar to what happened with Tony Singrani, who was very similar in the sense that he had really good fastball control coming up, but the secondary stuff wasn't really something he worked on too often. And then we saw what eventually happened in the major leagues when that when that recipe kind of all came together against big league guys. You, you can't really get away with just a fastball unless you're Mariano Rivera or Rodas Chapman. Now let's talk about some of the prospects that you liked, but they might have not panned out. Going back throughout your entire history of RedsMinorLeagues.com, who are some of the players you wanted to make into the majors, but it didn't happen for a reason or another? Well, I, I, I'm hesitant to ever talk about pitchers in that way, because usually when that happens, it's because of an injury. And you just, you just can't predict injuries, and you don't know how guys are going to recover from that. But I, I think the one that I would pick out, and all of my critics, and for some reason there actually are critics out there uh, that, that, I don't know, I, they don't understand how difficult of a job it is to try and predict future baseball players. But um, the one that I seem to miss on the most was Jorman Rodriguez. And, you know, you mentioned, you know, didn't get to the majors. He did technically get to the majors. He got a September call-up when he was 20 years old, and he played in a handful of games. I think he got 14 at-bats. But that was it. Like, he never got back. Um, and that, that's such an interesting case because he, I mean, he really did have all the tools in the world. He, and I, I thought about this the other day, he seems like the guy that Jose Siri is right now. Um, when, when you try and project forward the tools that Jorman Rodriguez had, it, it, it just reminds me of what Jose Siri is actually doing right now. Um, you know, they were they were similar players in that sense. I think series a little bit more explosive, but they they were similar. Um, but you always heard things about the work ethic with Jorman Rodriguez that he he just didn't put in the work. He, I mean, I I heard that you know he already got his, and when they say that, they were referring to his signing bonus. So he he didn't really put in the effort to go get the rest of his career. And you know, let's. His, his final season of minor league baseball was basically spent on the 60-day disabled list for the major league roster because he got hurt in spring training before he was optioned down. 
So he got a full season of major league play and just rehabbed all year um, in in the minor leagues because you know he, he'd come back and he'd rehab and then he'd get hurt and he never even tried to play after that. Like he just retired at 23 years old and it just seemed like it was something that he didn't want to do. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I totally missed on that one. And I, while I definitely think that that's a, a rare case of a guy who just, he just didn't want to put in the time and the work to do it because I, I, I do believe that pretty much everybody that's playing minor league baseball, they're all very hard workers. Uh, you know, they, you generally don't even get to the lower levels of professional baseball without being an extremely hard worker. I mean, talent only does so much. But I, I think that with Rodriguez, he really was one of those guys who just – he had so much talent that he didn't have to put in as much effort to get into the professional ranks as some other guys. And he just didn't put in enough work or just simply didn't care enough to really get the most out of it and – you know that that's kind of why we see what happened with him. Yeah, that's a name from the past too. I want to say that was the 2011 Dragons team, or a year or so afterwards. Jorman? Uh, um, I, I I want to say it was 2010 and 2011 that he was there. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a name I haven't thought about in a long time. Jorman Rodriguez. How about some prospects that? panned out with other major league teams like you wanted to see them as reds and they turned out somewhere else and before you answer that there's one that i know of ronald torres he's with the yankees i don't know if he's with the big major league club or the triple a scranton wilkes-barre team but ronald torres that guy had an electric batting average i think it was like 347 this his first full year in dayton then he got moved up and then I think he got picked up by the Cubs. Yeah, he was he was interesting because he actually showed up in Dayton, uh, you know, for the last couple of games um, as a 17 year old. I mean, you just don't see that now. He, I mean, he began the year in the now defunct Venezuelan summer league, and I mean, he hit like 400. And so the Reds were like, "Yeah, we got to call this dude up." So they brought him over to the United States, and you know, he went and played in their their complex league, and he hit well over 300 there. And you know, despite the fact he was so young, Dayton needed that extra player to, to to kind of finish out their season, and so they they just called him up, and you know he was there all next year as is a is an eighteen year old, and what, I mean when you you stood next to him, and granted he was just seventeen eighteen years old, so he was he really was just a kid, but even as a professional athlete, like he he was five eight one hundred and forty pounds at the time, and. I mean, he is like, who brought their middle school brother to the, the ballpark with you? Like, that, that's what it, that, that, that's what it looked like. But, I mean, he just has elite hand-eye coordination. Like, bat-to-ball skills, it's just on a different level than most players. And he, he's made it work for him. So, he's one of those guys that you're just like, yeah. I, 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 I'm glad that I got to see that at such a young age. But, He's got that skill set that you just don't see very often, especially anymore. I mean, he's when you really think about it, he's a guy that you know you you would you'd think would see you know from a physicality standpoint, a skill set standpoint, like in the 1920s, because he's not a big guy and all he does is make contact. Like that's that that's a that's an early days baseball kind of skill set. I really want to see Torres in a Reds jersey, but 
I think he got traded. Maybe even that year in 2012, he got traded. I think he was yeah. in the Cubs system for a little bit. Then he found his way in the Yankees. And I think he made news, the unfortunate type of news, where he swung at a pitch out. Was that it? <laughs> I, I honestly do not remember that story. It's either a pitch out or an intentional walk, and he swung. And it's like high and upstairs, the catcher's standing up. And he's just like, <laughs> woof. It's like, wait, <laughs> what? Why would you do that call- for, Ronald? <laughs> I call that the Kelly leak. <laughs> How about you? What uh, Some of your favorite prospects that made to the major leagues elsewhere. Now, technically, this guy did make it to the major leagues with the Reds, but it didn't last very long. But I would have loved to have seen the Reds keep Didi Gregorius. I, yeah. I was very I was very high on Didi Gregorius. Uh, and at the time, the Reds kind of had to choose between Zach Cozart and Didi Gregorius. And Zach Cozart had already been established – small sample size with it. It was still very early in his career, but as a major league player. And so when the Reds needed to make that trade for 2013, uh, they went out and they got Shin Suchu. And, and maybe it wasn't necessarily their choosing. Maybe it was, you know, the, the Indians that decided, hey, this is the this is the shortstop of these two that we want. Um, it, it, you know, and so the, somebody made the decision for the Reds. But to me, I had felt that it would have been better for the Reds to maybe pick up a stopgap for half a season or so and let Gregorius kind of develop in AAA that, that last half season. Um, I just I really liked all the things that he brought to the game. Now, I, I didn't quite see the kind of power he's shown in New York. I think that the uh, the, the short porch in, in right field and the right center field gap there helps him out a little bit. But, you know, we're talking about a guy who, you know, projection-wise, he looked like he could hit 275 with 15 home runs, and play a really good defensive shortstop. Now, nothing against Zach Cozart. He was very good at times as a red, but I don't think that his bat was ever going to be what Gregorius's was, except for that last season with Cincinnati when everything came together for him just right. Um, and so that that's kind of the guy that I look back on and think, you know, I really like this guy. I thought he was going to be good. Turns out he was really good, but wound up performing well somewhere else. Um, I, I think that Another guy that I did, I you know, especially at the time, I didn't think was going to be the guy that he was that really turned out well somewhere else, even though it took quite a while, was Justin Turner. Uh, I mean, he really didn't have that breakout year till he was 29 years old. And so there's a possibility that he never even would have done that with the Reds if they did keep him because he, he could have been, you know, they may have called him up sooner and he would have reached free agency right at that time. Um, but he's another one of those guys that, you know, went somewhere else and eventually, you know, did did really big things. How about some of your favorite players you've covered in your time? They don't have to be prospects. They could just be some of your favorite athletes that you got to see on the field. And that goes for any team in the Reds system or any team that the Reds might have been playing in the farm. Okay, well, I'll start off with some of the Reds guys. And I, I, I want to make a special mention of this because he actually just got to make his, well, he hasn't actually had a major league debut yet, but he is in the major leagues now, Joe Hudson. Yeah. Um, Joe was a catcher for the Reds. Uh, they drafted him out of Notre Dame, and he, he spent his entire career with the Reds until uh, I can't remember. They traded him. I think they traded him in June of this year to the Angels. Um, and you know, he he he's put in the time. He's put in the work. Joe's never been what we would consider a, a good prospect. Um, he he's. I mean, Joe, if you're listening for some reason, oh, uh, thanks, but. <laughs> Joe's never Joe, Joe's never really hit well. Um, Joe's always been known to be one of the best defensive catchers in minor league baseball, though. And so 
he he he's probably going to have a job for quite a while if he wants one. Now, whether it's going to be in the major leagues or in AAA, that's that's not up to me. Um, but Joe is very good defensively. He's got a really good arm. He works incredibly well with the pitchers. He frames well. Everything defensively that you want to see out of a catcher, Joe does it very well. Um, but as a person, Joe's always been very good to me. I've heard so many stories from other people around minor league baseball about how good of a guy Joe is, how you know well he, he works with people on the non-baseball side of things. So I was very happy to see when Joe Hudson got the call up the other day with the Angels. Um, you know, a guy like Taylor Trammell. Now, Taylor, on the flip side of that, is a very good, very well-known prospect. People expect big things for him. Now, I don't know Taylor extremely well. Like, we're not we're not buddies off the field. Like, we don't go out or anything like that. But every interaction I've had with Taylor has been nothing but fantastic. He genuinely seems like a great, great kid. And you hear that from everybody. I, I, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I, I think that Taylor Trinnell is a better person than he is a baseball player. And he's an outstanding baseball player. So he, he's definitely one of my favorites as well. Um, now, outside of the red system, I don't interact with too many of those guys, so it, it's tough to speak about them on a personal level. But if we're going to talk about guys that I just love watching play, now there's there's a few things. Now, I, I, I do rank prospects, and so that that's kind of one of the things that I do. And when you're ranking prospects, you kind of want to look at you know guys and be like, okay, how does he compare to a big leaguer? And then you want to, you know, kind of rank them versus how they compare to, you know, an average big leaguer, an all-star, superstar, you know, Mike Trout, like, which for the record, no one is comparable to Mike Trout. But that's that's the level that you need to be looking at when you want to say, you know, this guy's got a chance to be the best player in baseball. If they don't look like Mike Trout when they're playing, they're probably like, or they don't look like they could be that guy. Then, you know, obviously you can't say that about them. No. The, the best prospect that I'd ever seen before, um, and granted, I, I don't get to see everybody that's come through you know, minor league baseball. I've only been doing this for you know, 12, 13 years now. But when it comes to hitting, the guy that I always tried to compare people to was Carlos Correa. Uh, I, I saw him come through Dayton in, I want to say, 2013. Um, and, I mean, he, he, he just – he was a different kind of guy. And so all of my comparisons as far as guys that were roughly his age in the minor leagues have been to Carlos Correa. The physicality, the mechanics, just the raw ability. Like that 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 was my comparison. Um last year that changed when at least from a hitting standpoint when I got to see Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Mm-hmm. That that was the new gold standard for hitting um for me as far as minor league guys go and for those who, you know, obviously you probably know the name, at least if not for nothing else, his, his father. But, you know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. flirted with 400 in the minor leagues this year as a 19-year-old in double-A and triple-A to kind of put in perspective how good of a hitter that guy is. But, Lee, I saw a guy a couple of weeks ago when I went to visit Greenville who played for, uh, unfortunately not for the Reds, um, but it was a 17-year-old and... Oh my goodness! I, I may have a new standard for you know just guys to compare everything to. I the the, the bat speed was just incredible. The hand eye coordination was incredible. I, I just and this was an advocate who realistically should be a junior in high school. 
it was one of the more impressive things I've ever seen. Plays for well, I, he plays for the Princeton Rays, and his name is Wander Franco. Now, if you recognize the name, he does have a brother named Wander Franco who is in the major leagues. He's also got another brother named Wander Franco who's in the minor leagues. So, if you're gonna if you're gonna look it up, look up the one that's <laughs> 17 years old. Um, but we're talking about a 17 year old guy who hit 350 this year in the United States against professional baseball players with power, with more walks than strikeouts. I mean, it, it's incredible. It, it was the, there's only one guy that I've enjoyed seeing as a minor leaguer. And I didn't see this guy in person. The other guy I'm going to talk about here in a second. So it, it's a little bit different, but just watching him take batting practice. when he's just the, the bad speed. The only guy I can think of that was comparable was Bryce Harper. And I never got to see Bryce Harper play live and in person um, in, in, the, in the minor leagues. So I, I can't make that – I can't be like, oh, you know, Bryce Harper's the guy. Wander Franco might be that new that new guy for me. And I, you, we, we might get to see him come through Dayton next year. Um, the, the Rays have an affiliate in the Midwest League in Bowling Green. So if he's on that roster and you get a chance to go out and see – you need to do it because he, he he's a very, very special player. I feel like Bowling Green's going to have a stacked team for years thanks to Tampa Bay. But this year, their hot rod team, whew, they they just they just raked from first and second half. It's very rare to see a team, you know, just take control and stay in control. That's that's impressive for the Rays. But- yeah, their, their, their farm system is very strong and – um, yeah, if the Princeton Rays team is any, um, you know, future prognostication of how good that Bowling Green is going to be next year, they're going to be really good. So, <laughs> could you imagine a Wander Franco uh, family reunion? Wander, yes. <laughs> it's like, well, no, no, you, you. I, I actually can because, as I said <laughs> earlier, I'm a junior, um, and so my dad, one of his really good friends for a while, was also named Doug. And so when we were all three, like, you know, around the house and somebody somebody would be like, hey, Doug, like, we'd all be like, yeah. So, like, I, I get it. Like, I've been in those situations where you have no idea who they're trying to get a hold of or ask the question to. So, yes, I can't imagine that kind of situation. But it could be worse. It could be like George Foreman's kids where, like, 19 of them are all named George Foreman. So <laughs> The guy that made the grill. Oh, yeah. Uh, he did not make the grill. He just put his name on the grill. Yeah, that's that's true. I now mean... he he lucked out on that because he was not their first choice or their second choice. They wanted, I, I believe it was Hulk Hogan and Sylvester Stallone to do it, and they did either. I can't remember. One of them turned it down, and one of them, their agent, didn't get to him quick enough. Like they didn't pass along the information, and they were going to do it, but George Foreman's guys said yes sooner. And so, so somebody missed out on like two hundred and fifty million dollars because of that. They're still they're still sold around America. I mean. Oh God, I, I love mine. I love mine. I mean, you know, yes, I prefer my hamburgers on a grill, like an outside grill. But I live in Ohio; it snows in the winter, so that's not always an option for me. I guess it is, but I don't want to stand out in the cold and cook my burgers. That so does, that doesn't stop my dad or myself. We we <laughs> used to grill. <laughs> like I said, I, I could. I'm just going to choose not to go stand out in the cold and cook. I, my burgers aren't that good. It's it's a hamburger. I'll, I'll I'll be all right on my George Foreman grill between the months of October and 
February. Now, who are some of your favorite named athletes you get to see throughout? This is purely like this is a cool name. And I'll, I'll put one up to bat, Cash Case. How can you not love a name like Cash Case? I think he, I, I think that, he got that really villains. is he did. That was really one of the better names in quite a while. <laughs> but I, I, I'll bring up one for you that you'll know and you may not know. And I talked about him earlier, Didi Gregorius. Now, Didi Gregorius on its own is fantastic as a name. Yeah. But do you know his real full name? Um, I can't say I do. Okay. Get ready for it, because I, I love it. Marixen Julius Gregorius. And I, I just love it. The whole thing is just fantastic. How do you get Didi out of that? Didi, I believe, was his father's nickname. And ah. so it, it kind of stuck. That is kind so, of nice. Yeah. But that, 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 that's a great one. Um, I always love that one. Um, so, some readers of my site started calling him the general. Um, yeah, but that, that one, that one obviously never stuck, but I, I just, that, that, that full name is just fantastic and I love it. But yeah, you bring up cash case, like that, that's tough to top. It really is like cash case and the Reds gave him a big old case of cash to sign too. So it worked out really well for him. I I hope he's in Dayton next year. Maybe that's selfish of me, but if he's ready, (laughs) put him in Dayton. You can't. Reds better not skip an advanced A. I I want to see Cash Case in Dayton. No, no, there's there there he he does not fit the profile of the kind of guy they would skip over Dayton. Usually that's that's the the college guys, and usually it's only pitchers or first round draft picks. But um, since they moved up the signing date out of the draft, I don't think the Reds have really done that um, because guys got to start playing in July now instead of you know August twenty third which is what used to happen before they moved up the signing date. So, you know, you'd see guys kind of go out there and get their feet wet in Billings for a week. The season would end, and then the next year they'd go, and they'd skip them right over to Daytona. Whereas now, you know, you, you, I mean, you saw with Jonathan India this year, he had to start playing the first week of July, um, and so he got his feet wet before that and showed that, hey, I'm, I'm better than this league. And so they, they just caught him up to Dayton where um, his, his talents were a little bit more suited for the, the level he was at. Now, you also run a podcast that just ended for a while uh, yesterday, I believe, the Unnamed Reds Podcast. Tell me about your podcast with Brian Snow. Well, um, first off, let's start with the name. How terrible was that? Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we we kicked around a few ideas, and I just couldn't we couldn't come up with anything that sounded good, um, and so we just left it quote unquote unnamed. And I was like, hey, that's that's not the worst thing ever, is it? And I, Brian was like, hey, it's your thing. You can do what you want. I'm like, okay, well, we're going with it because I'm tired of trying to come up with something. Um, <laughs> but, you know, podcasting, Lee, as I'm sure you know, it, it's both fun and it can be a headache at times. It, it's always great while you're recording because, I mean, who doesn't love just talking with people they're interested in, stories they've got? Um, you know, in, in our case, we were just talking about the Reds. And yeah. So that was fun. But – um, as you mentioned, it kind of came to a close with our last episode that I just released yesterday. Um, there, there, for me at least, there were just too many technical problems that I kept running into. But, you know, it kind of came to a close because I just kept running into too many technical problems. You know, I've only got so much time in my day and my week, especially during the season. Now, I also write for The Athletic, uh, covering the Reds' farm system. And so 
you know, there, there is a limited, finite amount of time that I have, and it just seems that I kept having issues. And so it was just kind of a time management thing and a productivity thing. And so um, our last episode was the last episode. You know, I, I said in the podcast that maybe I'll bring it back at some point in the future. We'll, we'll kind of just have to wait and see how that goes. But, you know, for right now, it, it's it's done with and it's over. And it was fun while it lasted for the most part, but it, it just got to be a little bit more than I thought it was going to be. And for, for all the reasons and issues were all of my own. Um, I the, the How I was going about producing the show could have been done better if I had invested more money, got different equipment and all, all of those things. But um, I, I, I didn't. And so um, for, for now, it's going to be done. And I'm just going to kind of try and focus on doing other things and covering baseball. What are some goals you like to see added on to your website? What are some things that you really, really want to bring to the table on RedsMinorLeagues.com? Oh, this is a tough one because there's a there's a lot of things, but there's also not a lot of things. Um, and I know that that sounds ridiculous to say. Um, like I, I like a lot of the things that are going on with the site right now. Obviously, I would like it to continue to grow. I'd like to bring in more readers and – I mean, that, that's been happening for years now. Every month since, I believe, November of 2014 has been better than the previous month – or not the previous month, but the same month the previous year, um, significantly for the most part. So that's good. I mean the, the work that I'm doing is getting out there more. More people are seeing it, noticing it, and I love that. And I appreciate everybody who comes by and reads uh, – all the words that I write, they listen to what I say on the podcast, the videos that I make, they watch all that. That's great. I love it. I'm very, very appreciative of everybody that does that. Um, but I would like to keep that growing because I love writing about and covering baseball for a living. And this is my full-time job, and I would love to be able to continue doing that and not get out in, quote-unquote, the real world and have to have a, quote-unquote, real job. Um, I, I, I think that covering baseball is great. Uh, and so I would love to be able to keep doing that. Now, one thing that I do hate when it comes to running my own website is dealing with advertising. I'm sure that everybody listening right now also hates advertising on the web. Sometimes it's non-intrusive and it's just kind of, you know, hey, there's a little banner there. There's a little box with somebody trying to sell me something. And I, I think that for the most part, people are understanding that those things exist and they're just they'll just scroll right on past them whether it's on your phone or you know your laptop your tablet whatever you know you know it's going to be there you just you flick right past it but sometimes and you know i try to avoid this as much as possible but i don't directly sell my advertising i let google sell my advertising for me and sometimes they just get bad advertising that gets slips through the cracks and you know you'll get advertisement that's not what it was originally supposed to be and it'll be pop-up boxes or those videos that autoplay that blow your eardrums you know things like that they they suck they're terrible every every so often you'll find an ad that'll redirect you to another website whether you click on it or not those are the worst um advertising sucks on the internet um not that advertising on television or radio is great or anything but they, they don't have those same kind of problems um I, I would love to get away from the advertising model. Um, unfortunately, right now, that's not really a possibility. Um, I, I do have a, a Patreon page um, that you know readers of the site can help support the site, and uh, a lot of people have have helped, and they're you know they're contributing every month to support the work that I do. Um, but basically, if, 
where I'm at right now, I probably need to double the amount that I'm getting on Patreon to kind of get rid of advertising. And I, I hope to get there one day. That is one of my goals, to get to the point where enough people are supporting my work on Patreon that I can't get rid of all advertising on the site. Because one, it'll make my job a lot easier. Two, it'll make the experience of the site a lot better for all of the readers. Um, if you're not familiar with The Athletic, um, it's, it's, it's a sports website. I mean, it's basically a company started and they're buying out all of these former newspaper writers to cover sports for a monthly subscription and it what you get it for depends on you know when when you buy in there's almost always a sale going on right now so i think that for the most part you can get like three a month if you pay you know a year in advance with one of the sales that they seriously almost have going on at all times these days um but they have no advertising on the site there's no advertising on their apps like it, it, it's a really different web experience compared to what we're used to, and I, I would love to be able to get to somewhere like that where I don't have to worry about you know the email that I get once a month where hey I saw this ad on your site for you know dating like I I, I block out at, or ads like that on but sometimes they'll get through because there are things that I don't want to be on my site I, I try and avoid gambling websites I try to avoid dating websites things like that but. They'll get through every so often, and I'll get an email like, hey, um, I this ad showed up. I wasn't appreciative of it, and that, that reflects poorly on me, even though I do as much as I can to avoid that. Um, and I, I, So I would love to just reach that goal of not having to deal with advertising, but unfortunately, I think that's pretty far off in the distance. Um, you know, an, Another thing that I would like as a goal would be to be able to travel more, but again, that requires more money, more income, and things like that, um, and so – at this point, I'm only traveling about a third of the year. I would, I would love to be able to travel more because, one, I like getting out there and you know talking with the players, seeing the players. But uh, you know, it also helps produce better coverage because being out there is a little bit different than following online from home. You know, while there is the ability to watch many of these games online through MILB TV, it's not the same as being there and you know seeing it in person, talking to the players before and after the game, talking to the coaches, talking to the scouts that are in the stands and watching things. Um, and so that, that that's another one of my goals is to just try and travel more. But that's that's not just as easy as doing it because it does cost money. Um, you know, hotels aren't free, unfortunately. Gas isn't free. Things like that. Um, so you know, those are some of the things that I, I would like to do in the future that I, I hope to reach goals. I guess you would say. Um, so yeah, if you could talk to visitors fans, critics of the website, what would you tell them right now? Well, for the for the fans and visitors, thank you so much. I, I really cannot express how much gratitude I have and appreciation I have that for whatever reason, you come and read my words every day. Um, it, it allows me to continue doing this job that I love, and I, I, I really, really can't stress enough how important that is. Uh, for me to let you guys know that it, it, it I really do appreciate that. Um, you know, as I said, I, I worked on a roof for a summer and that was absolutely terrible. I don't ever want to have to do that again. Now, to be fair, I, I won't ever do that specific job again unless it's literally the only thing that I'm available to do and, you know, I've got bills to pay. But being able to do what I do is great. And I only get to do that because people are willing to come and, you know, read or look at whatever is on my site every day. So I, I greatly appreciate that. As for the critics, I mean, you're going to get that no matter where 
you're writing at or what you're doing anywhere. So, you know, it, it is what it is. Sometimes it gets to you. Uh, I, I'd be lying if I said that it didn't get to me sometimes. But, you know, for the most part, you kind of you, you have to either let it go or sometimes you can kind of try and, you know, send a rebuttal back to them and say this is why I did this, that, the other. But um, I, I think that for the most part, you just kind of got to let it, let it, let it roll off your shoulders and just move on from it. So to the critics, I mean, I guess thanks for coming by and reading because I mean that still does support the site, even though you're only showing up to be like, "Ha ha, you did this and you were wrong." I want to follow you on social media. Where do I go? Uh, I'm, I'm the biggest on Twitter. Um, you can find me on Twitter at DougDirt24. Um, I, I don't really do much Instagram as far as baseball coverage goes, nothing on Snapchat. Um, there is a, a Facebook page for the site, but um, there, there's not a ton of interaction there from me. It's mostly just links to the article that are over on the site, but you know, facebook.com slash Reds Minor Leagues, if that's something that you're into just to kind of get the updates and stuff. Um, but yeah, if, if you want to interact with me, the, the best way to do that is going to be on Twitter. That's Doug Gray, Jr. of RedsMinorLeagues.com. Go visit the website. There is a lot of information if you're a Reds fan from rookie to AAA and beyond. Doug, thanks so much for being a part of my podcast. Lee, thank you for having me. Uh, it was a pleasure, and honestly, it went much better than I thought it was going to. I, I feel that I did a very good job at not, uh, not messing anything up, which I'll be honest, I do that quite a bit. So I, I think that I did... Uh, very well here so thanks for having me on i appreciate it no problem absolutely no glitches today exactly this has been episode 61 of the local sunday sports podcast the gem on the queen's crown this has been another installment of the gem on the queen's crown the local Cincinnati and Dayton sports podcast. Closing theme by James Anderson from FreePD.com. Follow the podcaster on Twitter at the Lee W Mowen, spelled T H E L E E W M O W E N, and the podcast on Twitter at Gem on Queen Crown. Like the Facebook page, the Gem on the Queen's Crown. For every link and platform available to listen to the local Sunday Sports Podcast, please visit theleewmowen.com slash podcast. Would you like a question about sports answered on the podcast? Send a message on Twitter at either account or visit theleewmowen.com and click Contact Me and your question might be answered in a future episode. Thank you for listening and your support of this podcast.